fish rain down from the sky Outside the window there are soldiers stealing themselves to die Cocker sits in a chair by the shore The drowning girl's fingers search for the entrance stone and more. Lifting the hem of her as your dress, she gazes at Kafka on the shore. Kafka sits in a chair by the shore. God's podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dram. Find me online at all the things at Jesse Dram. That's D R A H A M. That's uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit. Uh, I think if you just put Kill Your Gods into YouTube or uh, Mr. Jessico, this place to do it. We are doing part three of Kafka on the Shore. I hope you enjoyed the song version. I did. I could have practiced a little longer, but I didn't. Yeah. I had a very stressful day. Here's something you don't know about, Jesse. I have an extreme fear of heights and elevators. And today, I went to hang out with my good friend Rob Cruz. Go check him out. That's C-R-E-W-S on uh, TikTok and all the things. He has a little series called Attention Horse. Very funny guy. I went and hung out with him for the first time on the 22nd floor of his apartment building. And I did not have a good day. I had a good time hanging out with my buddy, but it was very stressful. I am recording this before the episode happens, so I don't, <laughs> I know my guest is Dan Ostrov. I'm going to assume he's going to go on, uh, th- this is where we find out Dan Ostrov is a QAnon support, no, he's Q, personally. That O in Ostrov is actually a Q, just needs a little slash. I don't know what's happening, we're recording this late, it's 10.58 on a Sunday evening, Eastern Standard Time, as I'm recording this, so... Yeah, check him out on all his things. I'm going to ask him about awful wrestling and see if that's ever coming back. My one and only ever professional wrestling match was against this man, Dan Ostrov, the real American, where I was playing the role of the body shamer. So much fun. I was so out of breath, but it was so much fun. People hated me. That's what I'm good at. Um, What do I have coming up? I have a show this Wednesday in Trenton, New Jersey. There is a... Weed-themed restaurant. New Jersey Weed Man. I don't know. Go check me the fuck out at that. Enough of my bullshit. I'm going to stop recording and go interview Dan Ostrov. By the way, I looked so hard for a female K-pop fan 
to talk about Kafka on the Shore for episode four, because I know the singer Namjoon, a.k.a. RM, from BTS, took some lyrics from Kafka on the Shore and put it into one of his rappy raps, whatever, the, I guess they rap in uh, BTS. I got, and not even contacted, I corresponded with like 15 people. Such a, unlike Infinite Jest fans, a humble lot out of the BTS fans. Everyone thought like, oh, I don't think I'd be a good pick for that. Have you considered so-and-so? And like, yeah, that person didn't get back to me. So it looks like we're going to have all fucking men to talk about this book. Uh, in case you get, you know, have an issue with that. I tried. I really, really tried. So, hey, maybe you're listening to this and you're a fan of BTS and have read Murakami on the shore. Drop me a fucking line. jessedram at gmail.com. Okay, I gotta go because Dan Ostrov is meeting me. Bye. Go follow Dan Ostrov at Lord Byron McGregor on Instagram. Check out Old Lovable Monsters for his shows coming up. And also follow him at The Real American on Instagram. By the way, Dan is also the person who appeared on the first and last episode of I Hate Infinite Jest, one of my inspirations to start this entire podcast. So go back to the beginning, check out how it all started with episode 1 and episode 33 of I Hate Infinite Jest with Dan Ostrov. I'm so fucking tired. This is going to be late. I'm sorry for that. Bye. By the way, guys, sorry if the levels are a little wonky on this. There was this high-pitched hiss that uh, I was having trouble with the microphone and there was this high-pitched hiss throughout the whole thing. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to sound off, but I got that fucking hiss out. Uh, if you hear it at a little bit at first, it'll work its way out. Again, sorry about that. Joining me from unfortunately not his bathtub, Dan Ostrov. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing, oh, I'm doing okay. I'm getting fucking married and... Uh, not this week, not next weekend, the weekend after. So, a lot of shit going on for that. How about you? Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not getting married, like, so, <laughs> so nothing quite on that, on that epic of a scale. Um, uh, as a married, like, I feel like anything I sort of say is just like, yeah, I'm eating less carbs. <laughs> Tell me, as a married man, am I making the right decision, or should I still run while I have the chance? Um, in my experience, you're making the right decision. All right, good. I had a, I had a gut you know, feeling about not, of of the regrets that I have. The person that I'm with is not one of them, and like the decision to be with her, not never been a regret. Ooh, okay. What is a regret of yours then? Uh, <laughs> I can I can give you my quick one. I started comedy way too late. I started at 27, and that pisses me off because like my hanging out till three o'clock in the morning on a weekday days were long fucking gone by the time I started comedy. It's interesting. Um, I do sometimes have that regret. I mean, interestingly, like for me, it's like, man, I wish I'd started at 27. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I started comedy when I was, like, 34. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm glad I could, I could like, softball lob that Maybe answer three. to you then. 
yeah. Jesus, how old are you? I could have sworn you've been around since I started. 39. Okay, okay, God. So, yeah, that checks out. I'm 34. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for being a guest on my podcast so I could make you tell you you're old right away. <laughs> I'm not, this it's is... okay, man. I mean, it's funny, you know, it's funny because, like, uh, a very common premise in stand-up comedy is like, oh my god, so I'm turning 30 next month, I just feel so old. Woo, <laughs> like, yeah. I'll be like, I, you know, there's a few people in this crowd older than me, but like, man, I'd love to be 30. <laughs> I, I cannot tell you how much I'm loving, like, the young guys when I started, and they're all hitting 30 now, and they're the same guys like, why are you always so negative and shit? And now they're like, my fucking everything hurts. I don't like this. I don't. I, I got four hours of sleep and I feel like I've been hit with a truck. Like, yeah, exactly. That's how this shit happens. <laughs> so, yeah, now you have been on the podcast for every book we've done except for the Bible. So, I'm going to have to correct that when we get back to the Bible part. Oh, man. I, yeah, I'll read up like a little bit on like Old Testament stuff. Yeah, we've only done Genesis so far, and who boy, a lot of a lot of rape and a lot of semen, which I do not remember from Sunday they school. Seed, right? They call they often call it the seed. Uh, there was all you know, and he literally the phrase he came up into he came into her, so like really explicit. I mean, because I feel like at that time, like reproduction was was magic. You know, you didn't, they, people didn't know what, like, there was these, like, billions of tiny little, like, DNA, like, swimmers, and there's this egg. It's just, like, it's just magic. Like, we know it works. Right. It's the thing. You say up until that time, it is still magic to me. Like, it's just, it, you know what it is? It's just because sure, I think but we're... you can see it on a microscope, too. Right. Exactly. But still, it's, like, when we consider how non-organic material is constructed and then like you, you realize like what when you're little you think like the alien movies are really gross because it's like everything kind of like muscular and dripping with mucus could you imagine like oh no that is how every living creature is made that's how you start yeah yeah just gross slimy shit that just starts rebuilding itself replicate right, have you ever thought of having kids yeah yeah we talk about it sometimes. Yeah, we're we're talking about it a lot. I've been I've been getting into it on stage. Just we had a very weird day where uh, her friend who has a kid came by and he's like playing with her pet rabbits and just being like a cute little boy. And then the moment they leave, she and I both look at each other and like we really want to fuck right now. Like playing with that small child. Like let's go do this. Hey man, if that's if if you have that feeling, you should do it. Absolutely. If you're both there, like, do it. It's not, you know, that's great. Mm. Like, I don't think you need to overthink it. No, no. We're, we're going to wait till after we're married. But then again, I mean, this book is giving me a little bit of fear that, like, I really, really need to make sure that my fiance, who is uh, four years younger than me, is not, in fact, my sister or my mother. Because, <laughs> you know, seems to have happened to our good friend Kafka. Um, how did you find this book? You just see, you just seem to beat me to every single book. Well, is is Ostrov a German word for North Star? Is your mind, buddy? 
Um, I'm trying to think how I how I read this book because um, it was probably back after college. Like I said, it's been a while, and there's like certain there's like one scene in particular that like is very much etched into my memory towards the end, which I won't talk about. But like when you were like, "Yeah, do you want to talk about this book?" I was like, "Yeah, that, I love that book." And then I was like. I have very little recollection of this <laughs> book. And it's like, was it recommended to me by a, I think it was, it was probably recommended to me by a friend. Yeah. And, um, Seamus put me onto it. Yeah. Seamus, like, like I said, he, he did his list of books and there was that Lincoln and the Bardot, mm. which fucking amazing. And they did, Amazon did a, um, or whatever, am, uh, not, uh, not Amazon, Audible. Hmm. did a um did a reading of it but they were able to get like all these actors like well well-known actors like nick offerman david sedaris like hundreds to do because there's all these different characters and it basically takes place over the course of one night in a cemetery with like where the body of like uh abraham lincoln's son has been laid to rest in the cemetery and okay. it's all these like ghosts and it's 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 just it's a profound book and like Seamus had like been like this is the best book I read and I was like all right like he got he's got a long list hmm. there I know some of these titles I know they're good if he's like this is the best one and man incredible yeah okay that might be worth looking into I always have a trouble finding hey, Seamus, if you watch this I think I already I think I already toasted to you but much much obliged sir yeah. well, it was also his birthday yesterday so happy. Happy 30th. Welcome to the misery, you old fuck. Yeah, you belong with us now. He looks so old. I think he's he old. He does. Every time I see him. I might have to at least 46. See, this is my benefit. I've always looked older, but then, like, everybody else gets old. Like, I'm still, hey, I'm still, I still weigh less than when I graduated high school, which just means I was pretty fat in high school. But still, <laughs> I, I haven't reverted. That's the important thing. <laughs> All right. You want to die? Like underground punk scenes in high school? I maintain still, uh, I do not like the punk rock ethos. I was about metal and not even for like, and not even for the dumb, like, you know, I want to punch people. I love the technicality of it. I love the technicality of it. I love the power of it. I love the songwriting and the craftsmanship. Punk was just. The entire punk ethos is like, you could learn three songs and then you could form a band. Like, yeah, that's how 99% of awful bands are fucking started. Mm. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I I, it, honestly, I haven't listened to a hell of a lot of metal, but mm-hmm. recently in the studio, I was listening to some Pantera. Okay. Um, on the suggestion of Shaner. And I was like, fuck, man, this is, it was just never, punk was never my thing. But like, I'm like, I can appreciate can appreciate this you know yeah. this this is like true musicianship oh yeah it's a, what's his name dimebag dimebag daryl dimebag daryl mm-hmm. oh man rest in peace god that yeah, was it's uh, funny because i'm like this guy's amazing and it would be like somebody be like have you heard Jimi hendrix and it's like <laughs> yeah yeah dude like have you guys heard of this eric clapton fella he's like, going places I just discovered this band cream Okay, they had a guitarist. Incredible. <laughs> Two guitarists, actually. So hear me out. They're called the Beatleds. Uh, 
better go and play. God. I always do that shit, man. I'm the worst with like, I'll get into something like, like I've been listening to Kendrick Lamar constantly. Mm. My amazing genius. I'm like, you heard Kendrick Lamar? People are like, yeah, yes, the greatest <laughs> hip hop artist of all time. I've, yeah, I've listened to all his stuff a lot, and it's like, damn it, all right. Yeah, dude, we already got there. It's great though. <laughs> people get weird gaps in their music shit. I did not hear the song Hallelujah by Jeff Buckley until like five years ago. I somehow missed that my entire childhood. See, for me, that's like Leonard Cohen is like straight, you know, because it's what I actually just recently learned is Leonard Cohen had written the lyrics for it. And he had mm. like all these verses. And then Jeff Buckley, I guess they were friends. And Jeff Buckley was like, mm. I want to make this into a song. Mm-hmm. And so he, because he, I had always thought like, oh, Leonard Cohen wrote it for like, performed it first and then jeff buckley covered it but really like actually jeff buckley had read the lyrics and was like he made the original song too the the one that we know if i recall correctly there is an original recording of leonard cohen doing it that wasn't particularly popular and it had something like 57 verses and jeff Buckley was like (laughs) these these five are good yeah the first five lay it all out there man yeah dude i am I am so picky with like my singer songwriter. You know who I just discovered? Have you ever heard John Prime? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, exactly. like Dimebag Daryl. Like, <laughs> yeah, John Prime. Yeah. Like <laughs> Dude, I I played the song Sam Stone for Neil oh. Wood. And literally, like, I'm just looking at him waiting for the reaction because I've never heard such a perfect little line. There's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes. Oh. Just see, Neil's like looking at his phone. And he's like, "What? Like that, that fucking line has grabbed every single person I played it for." It's beautiful, man. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah, John shit. Prine. I could, I could talk. I could literally sit here and talk with you about John Prine for the next. Guys, this is the John Prine yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. Have let's heard, let me one one quick John Prine thing. Okay. You're in the Bible. Have you heard Jesus the Missing Years? I haven't heard Jesus. Wait, no, I didn't. So I, I definitely heard it. I remember liking it, but like none of it stuck with me. I'm Let's still do it again. It's, okay. Especially if you're doing the Bible, maybe maybe you'd wait till you get to the New Testament. But it's fucking so okay. good. I actually first heard of him because uh, Tom Waits did an interview about him, and I love Tom Waits. That's my guy. He did an interview about him after he passed away. It was like we. We've lost a god and the singers all right and seem like, oh, let me look this guy up. And just like, wow, this bizarre looking man is fucking great. Uh, yeah, so good. Yeah. All right, so let's get into this goddamn book. Yeah. Okay. Chapter 21. Uh, I tried cutting down these notes. Unlike Infinite Jest, that was so fucking dense and didn't have set uh, chapters i would like write down everything as i went whereas this one i'm literally just like copy pasting and editing my best from lit charts okay okay uh what a twist johnny walker the cat killer was kafka's father koichi tamura police think it's a vendetta killing and are looking for a kafka as a person of interest oshima doesn't think kafka killed him as he'd been at the library at the date of death kafka notes the murder happened the same night he blacked out and woke up covered in blood have you ever blacked out and woke up covered in blood, Dan? <laughs> no. My, that'd, be, that'd be, let me think. 
I've woke up with injuries. Oh, okay. That one's good. Generally, um, actually, you might somewhat appreciate this. So what I, I, I do, I do like I. I'm not crazy about to go back to what we were talking about earlier. I'm not crazy about punk, but I do like Celtic punk a lot because mm. I feel Same. like they do truly have musicianship. And I like the folk mu- music aspect of it as well. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and I got into Celtic punk because I went to this tiny bar. I was dating this girl who was into punk when I was first in college. And she's like, oh, there's this new band that's doing great, like Flogging Molly. We got to go see them. So we, I, I like Flogging Molly. I caught like at the perfect time, like right after Swagger came out, but they're still playing like mm-hmm. dive bars. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah, I might go in a mosh pit. Like I'm never really been in a pit, but like I'll try for like a song. Mm-hmm. And like woke up the next morning just like covered in bruises, like just like what the fuck? <laughs> She's like, oh yeah, you you like I couldn't get you to leave the mosh pit. You were like so into it. <laughs> Uh, did one of the saddest things I saw was at a Flogging Molly concert because there was just like a skinny kid who did like the whole like he dressed like he was coming out of Angela's ashes. He had the scally cap and the suspenders and he just wanted to be in there and skank. But this was right at their peak of like college douchebags also like yeah, us. Yeah, that that happened like because I saw him a second time and it it was. Yeah, so mm. sorry. Continue your story. Oh, it just that that little Finnegan's Wake fella got destroyed by some dickhead in a Hawaiian shirt. It just was terrible. I choked somebody out at that fucking concert. I went to that concert with like seven girls, three of whom were my relatives, and it just got fucking violent. It sucked. Uh, I, where, for my, where was that at? That was at the Atlantic City House of Blues. Oh, okay. I think that would, that would have to be 2006. I think I saw him at the maybe the Trocadero. Or hmm. or you maybe Union Transfer actually I think I saw him at Union Transfer, like in yeah probably twenty fourteen or fifteen. Mm, yeah, I think I it saw him. It, it, it very much changed because the first year that I saw them was probably two thousand one. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they their their crowd has mellowed out at this point. I think I think the lunkheads have all you know drank themselves to death, thinking like, yeah, this is music you drink, fucking. <laughs> Rot gut whiskey oh, too. This, I, I pledge to this song. Fuck yeah! Yeah, um, I hear you, man. Sorry. So let's let's stick with the book. I want. I wanted to give my own quick. I didn't wake up covered in blood, but on my 18th birthday, I woke up in the trunk of my car. <laughs> yeah, I I have not touched Southern Comfort since. <laughs> also, my ex girlfriend died of a brain aneurysm that day. Woo! 18. Oh what? yeah, there's a reason I am the way I am. Oh. <laughs> The first blowjob I ever got, and her fucking brain exploded six months later. Oh man! <laughs> Miss you, Jessica. Anyway, Kafka feels as if <laughs> Kafka feels as if he is losing his identity, which is terrifying. Oshima tells Kafka about the Greek tragedies, thinking he may be going through it. That the protagonist is drawn into a horrible fate despite valiant efforts. Gives the example of Oedipus Rex, in which Oedipus inadvertently fulfills the prophecy of murdering his father and marrying his mother. Uh, Kafka reveals his father delivered a kind of prophecy or curse that Kafka would murder his father and sleep with his mother and also his sister. Just to spice it up, give it a 20th century take. To Kafka, the prophecy feels like a timing device buried inside my genes that can never be changed. 
Kafka isn't sure if his father behaved in this way to get revenge on the woman who left him or because his artistic work left emotional scars or simply because he was cruel, but Kafka knew he had to escape. Oshima points out that the prophecy can't be true because someone else killed his father, but Kafka's hesitant. He theorizes to Oshima he may have killed his father in a dream and is therefore responsible. Oshima agrees, but comforts Kafka by pointing out that this isn't likely to hold up in court. That's a great line. It's not really played up for laughs. Just like, okay, maybe you did kill your father in a dream, but I mean, like, you know, where's the fingerprints? Uh, even though Kafka feels like his curse is inescapable, he should be safe in Takamatsu. But that night, Kafka sees a ghost for the first time. And almost promptly, he's going to fuck that ghost. I, I applaud Kafka. Never met a ghost he didn't bang. Uh, so I had a question here. Uh, what was the worst thing your father or an or older male relative said or did to you? Prophecies preferred. This would be in like the you're not going to amount to shit variety, I guess. The worst thing. I had an uncle who straight up told my mother, like, that kid's going to end up a fucking serial killer. Like, you need to send him away. I was... I was very violent and very angry as a young boy, and then I hit puberty and I became just angry. I mean, truly, like, I didn't have a lot of family, like, around, I mean, you know, aside from my nuclear family, like, mm -hmm. uncles on my dad's side, I mean, it wasn't terrible, I, like, I had an uncle who was, like, he had, a, he had a son, an adopted son who was, like, a couple years older, mm -hmm. and, like, he definitely, like, kind of smack you around like mm -hmm. my dad's not somebody who's gonna hit you for like no reason mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's like the times it was like very rare that my dad would hit me and every time it was like yep like it, it wasn't yep. like i didn't deserve that whereas like my uncle was a little more like yeah i might just smack you like to fuck with you you know right if you catch him like if, if the eagles don't cover the spread like be careful yeah, he would just kind of like with with my older cousin was like a little bit, um, you know, kept him on edge more than like. I guess I'm, he he's like somebody who likes to like fuck with people, you know, just mm -hmm. kind of like do you know, it's like that guy you went to high school with who wasn't gonna like get in a fight with you, but might like wrap your knuckles with the ruler as they like walk by in the hall, and you're just like, you know, that was just that mm -hmm. was just his that's like his thing. Right. You know, he likes to, like, he'll take a, if you're sitting on a chair, he'll come up with, like, a glass of water and just hold it over you and, like, put it so the water's just right at the Ugh. end. You know, so you got to always kind of just, like, he's just always, like, like yeah. getting you a little bit. Um, but that's not, like, no, the scale of, like, mm -hmm. true, you know, prophecies of, of I mean, kind of like, like, Kafka and like his relationship with his father and like that that sort of like where he's just find, trying to find solace and like you know he's talking about how he needs to go to libraries mm -hmm. because they're sort of mm -hmm. this like safe you know for lack of a better mm -hmm. word safe space for him like he can go and he can just fall into his volumes and they're more like real than his own reality and he's kind of created this like other character like the boy named Crow Mm -hmm. who's like his like alter ego like almost like an i almost look at crow as like an inner older brother who's just kind of like guiding him encouraging him yeah 
Yeah, because he he doesn't have anybody. Right. You know what's funny? I, I did not think of this in response to the answer. I just remembered something my fucking dad said that was like a prophecy. Uh, my dad was like a shitty kid, and his father died when he was 16. But he said like his father was already sick, and he came home one night drunk. Uh, my dad, that is. And my like dying of cancer grandfather like knocked his ass down the steps when my dad tried to go toe-to-toe with him. And my dad's telling me this when I'm like nine years old and he's getting upset thinking about his dad. And I'm like, oh, wow, my dad really regrets being bad to his dad. And then my dad just goes, and one day you're going to be a little shithead too and I'm going to knock your dick in the dirt. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> that's a twist ending. A twist ending I didn't see coming right there. <laughs> Never came to pass. Me and him traded blows once, and I got the better of him, and I ran the fuck away because he would have killed me if he caught me. But, huh? Right. Yeah, I never, I never. There was one. It wasn't even really a fight, but I remember being in high school at one time, like trying to, like I would, you know, growing up, I would like wrestle my dad, and it'd been like a while. Mm-hmm. And then my mom's like, "Oh, you guys should wrestle." And we were just sort of like doing stand up, like you know, cuff and like cuff and elbow. Up. Yeah, and I kind of like gripped him up and realized, like, oh, like I'm actually like stronger than this guy. Like <laughs> I, I could definitely now like throw this guy, you know. But it was like, like I said, he wasn't somebody who would ever like hit me without reason. So it wasn't like I'm gonna fucking show him you know it was like a different right. like so i didn't i didn't do it i just kind of at that moment like knew like oh yeah i i can i'm strong enough it's a powerful time in a boy's life when the tables have turned uh, well but i don't i mean not not that my dad's like weak at all but he's never like he's not like a tough guy either mm. so it was never like i would never be somebody's like oh my dad can beat up your dad like a, I would assume my dad wouldn't get in a fight anyway. Mm-hmm. And B, if he did, like, that would depend on what, who the dad was. Like, he might lose. <laughs> you know? He probably wouldn't beat up your dad. You know? Yeah. If, you're, if your dad was in the rankings, like, he's not at the bottom, but he's not at the top. He's somewhere right. in the middle. <laughs> he's somewhere, he's where, like, Sub-Zero always kind of falls. Like, right in the middle. Yeah. All right. Uh, Is there, are you hearing, like, a whistling sound? No. Okay. Weird. Anyway, yeah. uh, so the chapters get a little shorter from here. Nakata and Hoshino stop for breakfast in Kobe. They fall into conversation, which is unusual for Nakata. He explains it's extremely important that he crosses a bridge to Shikoku, although he doesn't know why. While Hoshino finishes his fuck, his delivery, Nakata reflects on his life. After the incident during the war, Nakata barely finished school, but never regained the ability to read or write. He worked for most of his life as a furniture maker, spent the last decade living off a government subsidy in Tokyo. All but forgotten by family and without any friends, he rarely speaks to anyone. When Hoshina returns, he tells Nakata that his plan has changed. Instead of returning to work in Tokyo, he will accompany Nakata to Shikoku by bus. So, yeah, that's just a nice little thing, but we now have this new character coming in, Hoshino. And uh, that made me ask the question, have you ever followed a stranger on an adventure? I mean, yes, I have actually. Um, 
yeah, it was this uh, this girl that I met, Ariel, and just like girls will do that. Girls yeah. can get you into adventures. Yeah, it was great. She, I mean, it wasn't like we met and we were just talking. It was actually, uh, <laughs> it was uh, so during the early phases of the Iraq War, there was at, at my school there was a bunch of people who like were like, we're not gonna, we're gonna live out in the quad in tents until like the Iraq War is over. <laughs> Until the and, war, they're like, and as we and as we all know, the war ended later that week because Bush knew he could not get by if he did not have the support of the Quad. Right. I mean, what's funny is like, you know, now it's like we're actually leaving Afghanistan. It would be funny if there's like one person left from that protest <laughs> that that actually was like, no, like yeah. I'm gonna live in the Tulane Quad. Like, I said I wasn't going to leave, and I'm not going to leave until we get out of the war. <laughs> Just... Yet has has still somehow been successful despite that. Like, he's running his law offices out of a tent on the quad. Right. Um, so anyway, I'm there, and this girl comes by, which is why you go to protests in college anyway. Um, and we start talking, and just, like, she's like a fairy, like, like a sprite. Mm. And, uh... Her name was Ariel. Oh, like, what are you God. doing today? And I'm like, nothing. And she's like, you want to go see the Tree of Life? And I was like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so we went on this like crazy walk through this wood, like in New Orleans, like around, and we came to this insane tree that was just like, it's like giant. I mean, it's just like live oak tree, massive. And, uh, yeah, just, like, climbed up into the tree. It was great. And, yeah, it was a hell of an adventure. Awesome. I don't have a cool story like that. I will say, though, I've never met an Ariel, but I did get a hand job from an Ursula once. That's good. Yeah, met her at a, met her at a party. Have. Uh, she, she, only had, uh, she only had six arms. She said she'd <laughs> lost them in the war. Yeah. Oh God. Damn yeah, it. things. I, you know, I and and uh, yeah, it was definitely great. Like, like hooked up, hooked up with her later. Um, it didn't end well, but like, you know, that going on that one adventure, um, was pretty awesome. It's cool, man. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that was something. It wasn't, you know, but it's, it wasn't like, um, it was something, but I, you know. That's a fun, strange adventure to go on. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm kind of thinking of like just meeting somebody and they're like, you want to go to Toledo today? I'm going to Toledo. Mm -hmm. I guess I've done some stuff like that, but with friends, mm -hmm. like sometimes... Like, I had a thing, like, if I was in a car with a friend and we missed an exit, it was mm -hmm. just like, well, let's just keep driving then. Yeah, we, we weren't meant to get off at 23. Yeah, and, and, like, one time I was, yeah, I was with a friend and we drove, like, we missed an exit and we drove, like, two more hours to Baton Rouge. 
Oh, Jesus. You know, just to like, we're like, damn, we missed the exit. Like, all right, well, let's just go to Baton Rouge. (laughs) (laughs) So something is shepherding us there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But but I wouldn't say that's with a stranger. That's still that's still cool. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me keep going here. Uh, twenty three. In the middle of the night, Kafka awakes suddenly in his room to see a young girl of about fifteen sitting at the desk. She seems almost too perfect to be real, and in fact, when she turns towards Kafka, she seems to gaze past him as if she can't see him in another world. Soundlessly, the girl exits through the door. Next day, Kafka asks Oshima if he can help him find an original record of Kafka on the shore. Oshima agrees to help, but warns Kafka never to play the song where Miss Saiki might hear. Kafka mentions the girl he saw the night before, and Oshima jokes it was probably a sexual fantasy, making Kafka blush. Luckily, Oshima finds a copy. The picture on the cover of the album confirms what Kafka suspected. The young girl who visited his room was a young Miss Saeki. Kafka asks Oshima whether he believes ghosts of the... Actually, you know what? We can stop a second here. Because this is actually something I've had with one or two exes. And it's uh, it's a very interesting thing. Like, do you ever have a weird... Have you ever seen, like, a younger photo of, like, your wife and had, like, a weird, like, I wish I could have known you at that age kind of feeling? Yeah. I've had that too. I've had that. I've had that with my fiance, especially where she's shown me some photos. Like I love this girl so much, but she shows me photos of herself where she's like in her rave phase and has like a furry backpack and neon and a pacifier in her mouth. And I just straight up tell her like, I would not even. I fuck dating you. I would not even like you if I met you at this stage. <laughs> but still, like some other stuff in there. It's like oh, I wish I could have seen. I wish I could have seen the person I love at this age of their development. Cause... But, dude, like, you can say that. But if you saw her at that time, maybe you would go into her. For sure. Yeah. You'd yeah. be like, fuck these stupid-ass rave kids. Holy shit. She's, this girl's talking to me. I'm so into <laughs> rave. I'm so into rave culture right now. It's amazing. <laughs> if I could go back and tell young Jesse anything, it would be get over your bolt. Musical tastes do not make you interesting. Go to a fucking rave. You will like what you find there. Do drugs now that your psychology can handle it. You don't have long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Kafka asks Oshima whether he believes ghosts of the living can exist, and Oshima tells him about some examples of phenomena from Japanese literature. Those stories, he believes, demonstrate a split between the body and some unknowable inner darkness lodged in the subconscious. And Oshima believes such living spirits can only arise out of negative emotions or even evil. Kafka listens to the record several times. Though the lyrics are somewhat surreal, they begin to feel deeply familiar. Kafka becomes convinced that the boy in the painting in his room is the subject of Kafka on the shore. Though the lyrics are abstract and nonsensical, Kafka becomes convinced that each line speaks directly to him and his own experiences. Dan, do you have any song that you feel speaks directly to your personal experiences? Um, I don't know about personal experiences. I would say... At uh, at any given time. I'm talking like, I have had new albums come out before and been like, oh my god, this this song is so pertinent to me and my mindset right now. I mean, like, my friend Willie describes my musical taste as sad bastard music. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, I've always been, I mean, like, when you were like, oh, I'm discovering, like, John Prine, I was like, yeah, 
sad bastard music. Like, <laughs> like I mean, Tom Waits kind of fits into that category. Like maybe early Tom Waits before he got real weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I like I love I love all Tom Waits, but I think earlier was more kind of like a Bob Dylan. Bruce Agreed. Springsteen he he, he was. Later, you're just like, nah. I'm just like the piano's been drinking. Like you know, I'm gonna do some crazy stuff. Yeah, he 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 started off trying to be a troubadour and then became a barfly and then like a junkyard Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I say Bob Dylan, like Mr. Tambourine Man, was a song I listened to mm. a lot. Um, uh, but I would also say. I liked I liked how the lyrics are very abstract. Like you don't really like people are always like, oh, this means like this means this and this means that in like Bob Dylan songs and like the tambourine man is like whatever his drug dealer or this or that or like and I don't know, I, I honestly think he does his lyrics are like kind of poetry. He's just he's mm. just like these are these are like visions I put out mm. and um uh um you know and and just just like interpret them you know however you will uh so that i mean that song very much like um hmm. I so like towns van Zandt. i i i what song speaks to me yeah i like towns van Zandt's version of dead flowers okay it's, it's great love it um and kind of like you know certain songs you listen like that was a song that i was listening to when like i was going through certain you know just like troubled times and uh you know it's it's yeah there's there's this like oh like i feel this connection with the lyrics like somehow there's there's like something in them that even though it's like not exactly this it, it, it just like i really connect with it i got you cool um so real quick i think what happened was when you logged on through a different thing it registered as a different user and it triggered the you cheap bastard you haven't upgraded to pro yet so you're limited to 40 minutes so we're gonna get cut off in a second i've already sent you a link to uh, another zoom meeting so we're gonna go jump onto that real quick all right okay awesome thank you buddy See you in a second. All right. I need to start making some money on this goddamn thing so I can upgrade to pro. This is really annoying. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, you know, I don't know. We'll get there. Uh, one of, what were we going to say? I would say just, like, just just make money on Bitcoin, man. Apparently, I, I, I seems like I'm the only person in the comedy scene who has not invested in anything. I got really interested in the GameStop stuff, but just like everything else, just just like the Wu Tang Clan, I got into it way too late to ever make anything of it. Um, exactly. Yeah. Before we move on, just because I have a follow up question later on, uh, do you have go to music for sex? Oh, um. I like I like '80s new wave. You could throw on any '80s new wave playlist, and you're good. <laughs> I mean, Honestly, we don't like recently. We started listening to uh, some music. Really, really like we never we haven't liked too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I did uh, lose my virginity to um, 
Pink Floyd, um, Dark good, Side of the Moon. That's a great Losing Your Virginity album. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I didn't lose my virginity to this, but I think it would be a great one to lose your virginity to. Bad Out of Hell by Meatloaf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if the music you lose your virginity to, like, affects the way your sexual life is going to be for the rest of your life. It's like you don't actually know it, but like that, that like, is this timestamp forever? Like, this is going to be who, how you are in, in bed. I really wish I hadn't lost my virginity to cats in a cradle. <laughs> oh boy. Ooh, man. <laughs> when, when you're coming home dad yeah. she had problems she had problems um <laughs> wow yeah all right amazing <laughs> that's it <laughs> uh all right chapter 24 uh hashino and nakata arrive in tokushimo hashino felt drawn to nakata because he resembles hashino's deceased grandfather but now that feeling has faded Hoshino reflects on his life. After high school, he tried unsuccessfully for some time to get a decent job and eventually settled on truck driving. He's relatively content, but not very fulfilled. He also remembers the various fights that landed him in trouble with the police and the many times his grandfather picked him up at the station. Growing up, he often felt like his grandfather was the only one who cared about him, but Hoshina never properly thanked him. Nakata sleeps soundly for more than 24 hours in the hotel room. He gives Hashino an extremely painful back massage that nonetheless seems to put his spine in better alignment. Then they head to Takamatsu. Once there, Nakata announces that he believes they must find the entrance stone, but he has no idea what or where that is. Do you feel like you have anybody you never properly thanked for helping you when you were young? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I it's still. I guess it's not too late. My third grade teacher was pretty incredible. Oh, how um, so? She just like is this woman, Mrs. Overland, Betty Overland, and oh, you remember her first name? Yes, I don't remember any of my teachers' first names. Unless, did you go to a Quaker school? No, just no. public high school, Madison Public High School. Um. Yeah, she was just, I mean, she was known for years as being incredible. She taught, like, we do, like, we started with Greek, or we started with Egyptians, and we did Greeks, then Romans, um, you know, and just, and we'd have these, like, big parties with, like, Egyptian theme, or, like, Greek theme, or Roman theme. And That's cool. Um, yeah, she just, just an amazing teacher, just and also uh, my ceramics teacher, Jeff Herman. Um, you know, like I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now without him. So, uh, have I thanked him? No, I should probably. I should probably thank him. I should probably do a better job. Like I should find where he is, sometime, and and really, yeah. Okay, guys, re- if you're listening, reach out to your old teachers and let them know how great they were. Mrs. Winch, wherever you are, you were you were awesome. Thank you for passing me when I was not good at doing homework because you saw potential in me. Mm. Uh, all right, twenty-five. Kafka sees the young Miss Saiki at his desk, contemplating the painting of the boy on the shore. Kafka's heart's pound, and for a moment, she seems to be able to hear it. 
But then, like the night before, she leaves. Kafka realizes that both he and the girl are in love with someone who is no longer of this world. He's in love with her, and she's in love with the boy in the painting. Kafka walks on the beach and realizes that he's jealous of the boy in the painting. In his head, Crow tells Kafka that Kafka wishes he could switch places with Miss Saiki's teenage boyfriend, even if that would mean dying a premature and pointless death. It is a more intense and painful emotion than Kafka has ever felt before. Crow says it is as if he wandered into a labyrinth of time and has no desire to escape. Note, labyrinth also being the name of one of his father's sculptures. Real quick, we have the lyrics to Kafka on the Shore, the song itself, which I recorded a version of and will be at the beginning of this episode. Uh, you sit at the edge of the world. I'm in a crater that's no more. Words without letters glaring at the shore, standing at the shadow of the door. The moon shines down on a sleeping lizard. Little fish rain down from the sky. Outside the window there are soldiers, stealing themselves to die. Kafka sits in a chair by the shore, thinking of the pendulum that moves the world. When your heart is closed, the shadow of the unmoving sphinx becomes a knife that pierces your dreams. Real catchy number. The drowning girl's fingers search for the stone and more. Lift the hem of her azure dress, that crazy kooka Kafka on the shore. Kafka sits in a chair by the shore, thinking of the pendulum that moves the world. When your heart is closed, the shadow of the unmoving sphinx becomes a knife that pierces your dream. Fuck, these notes are long. Okay. Uh, he asks Oshima if he thinks it's possible Miss Saiki could be his mother. He suspects this, but she has a gap in her life when Kafka was born. He felt pulled by fate to the library. And most convincing of all, he's in love with her. Later, Kafka takes some coffee up to Miss Saiki in her office. She asks why he ran away from home, and he tells her it was to avoid becoming damaged by his family. She says Kafka is very strong and independent. She observes that he looks like a boy she knew once. Just as she's leaving the office, Saiki tells him that once she wrote a book about people who had been struck by lightning. This, yeah, the facts seem strangely important to Kafka, but he's not sure why. That night, Kafka listens to Kafka on the shore. Suddenly, he remembers that his father was once struck by lightning. He wonders if Miss Saiki met him while working on the book. It feels as if too many coincidences are drawing them together, as if everything is speeding towards some unknown destination. It's <laughs> a lot happening here. What did you think of this book overall, without spoiling anything? Well, it's been interesting rereading it because mm-hmm. um, I've I've just recently been listening to. Um, I don't. Do you listen to Dan Carlin at all? Uh, yeah, I listen to Hardcore History. I I don't catch his other ones. Yeah, um, and his his most recent Hardcore History is about um, the war in the Pacific, mm-hmm. uh, and it's pretty. Um, pretty intense like uh is kind of the main way i you know just it was just like really brutal and sort of like paints i mean just kind of the way he like tells a story it's like a pretty paints a pretty tough picture of like the japanese people Mm -hmm. at that time you know it's just like a really fanatical society that was like it would like didn't make sense to go to war mm-hmm. but they like it didn't like pearl harbor was like one of the worst decisions of all time one yeah. of the worst military decisions of all time right and they knew it like there was generals who were like this is a terrible idea yeah because they could have probably well 
it's it's hard to say what would have happened because it seems like even if say america never gets involved in the war that just leaves uh japan to probably get crushed by like the soviet union in which case like everything that could have happened the question is like if japan had helped hadn't been hadn't been fighting the americans if they had strictly kept it in there because that's they were fucking that they took over korea they took up vast swaths of china they took up all the strategic air bases uh on the small islands leading up there and really it was only like the american and obviously it was more a coalition but like everybody else had more people to fight so it was just america and like some australians really fucking shit up and if they don't start shit with america like right who's to say And at the time when they were when they were making the decision, there was generals who were like, "We can't match America's ability." You know, they were estimating what America's ability to like produce war weapons was, mm-hmm. and they were like, "It's it's you know they were they were coming up with projections, and they're like, we can't match their projections. Like if we get into a war with them." their ability to just make tanks and planes and aircraft carrier is like 10 times what we can do. And, and that, and they like, they, they mistook that by a good deal too. They were like, even their like worst case projections were like much lower than what our actual capability, you know, but they, but they knew it. And it was just, it was like a, was terrible you know it was a terrible thing so i mean i i don't know i guess why i'm bringing this up is like it's interesting to i'm like comparing when i read this before the first time thinking about when i was in japan and kind of like the history of like you know everywhere you go in japan you you know you see these shrines and temples and castles but they're all rebuilt they're like the original was destroyed during the firebombing of this city the original was destroyed during the firebombing of that city like you know not even to talk about the you know atomic bombs like much of japan had already been leveled you know before hiroshima and nagasaki um and it's just it's kind of like it's it's interesting that that this like the effect the war plays into this story and kind of like these lingering ghosts Mm -hmm. and how how horrible it was like what i mean this was like an army that was known for just like blatantly destroying like they called that they called it the rape of nanking because like as much as you can well they did that but they also destroyed their own soldiers like it was like they ran their they they had their soldiers like run at machine guns mm-hmm. you know and it was like very much a like the like what was called the bonsai charge where they would just run with like swords and spears at marines with like machine guns mm-hmm. and tanks and and kind of and they were just like you know you just imagine i mean it was even to a point with like a lot of the um the you know the kamikaze planes like those guys that were flying those planes had maybe like five to 10 hours of flying experience. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we don't really know how to land. And they're like, don't worry, you're, fine. You're, don't worry about it. You're never going to land. You know, it's funny. You're, you're actually reminding me of something from the podcast I had forgotten and not thought of. But uh, one of the reasons that the generals like had 
told their men to act with this kind of impunity and cruelty was to as a way to make sure that they never surrendered like they wanted them to be so cruel to their to you know their enemies that they would never surrender because they knew what they would get in return and it's just i've been watching a lot of like late 50s early 60s uh japanese cinema lately so you have like seven samurai but that's a period piece it's not quite the same but you have like tokyo story and late autumn and it's so weird watching this country that is just like newly adopted a lot of these western type things and realizing like fucking everything like their country's obliteration was 15 years before and a lot of these movies they mentioned like oh yeah we just don't have any young men that age they're all gone now yeah and to realize that like fucking watching these movies world war ii and like the atomic bombs were as far away from them as like my chemical romances heyday is away from us right now like that's just so great like when you think like the fucking beatles were only 18 years after hitler is crazy yeah it's crazy yeah all right uh yeah no it's i mean i think i think it's like you know kind of when when he taught there's like in this story there's there's like a you know it talks about this ghost that's mm-hmm. present of this like woman who's still alive but there's like a part of her that died at this point in her life when she mm-hmm. loses this man that she's in love with mm-hmm. you know and i think it's like it's kind of uh maybe something like a metaphor for the country that like yeah japan is still alive it's still there it's like still functioning but it also it's like it's like a it's like a person living that, that that they have you know they have a ghost of the past that's also living simultaneously and you're and like the two you know the two things are are there together mm-hmm. like the ghost of the past lives next to the like still living person right like dude i think of things from my past i've changed so much since then i might as well be a different person it's it's like the fucking story of somebody else, which yeah, are ghosts that hang around. Yeah, I, I mean, it's an interesting idea to think about like this, like a person who has this one moment in time. You know, she has this one moment in time when she lost this man who she, who was like her, the love of her life. Mm-hmm. And so there's she you know she goes on because people do go on but she's still also there you know she'll never leave that moment either you know the idea of like a ghost is like a ghost is unable to leave a moment right i i i i I get that like you you survive because you have to but like not all of you is coming with you from like a trauma some of you is getting left behind and that's that and it's kind of similar to the character Nakata, who mm-hmm. he also had this trauma yes. as a child, and it's and he's forever changed from it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always like this, you know, he, he and it's almost even more real for him because, you know, he didn't even he didn't go on as like a normal person. Like mm-hmm. he, he's he's like this. You know, he can talk to cats and has kind of this very like you know he's like oh people call me dumb but he's like not really you know Mm -hmm. 
Right. He's just he's he's kind of like seeing the world through like cheesecloth. Like he's he's doing his best, but there are impediments in the way. But it seems like he's doing pretty good with what he has. But anyway, let's let's get right into him in uh, chapter twenty six. Hashino asks Nakata if he can remember the accident from when he was a boy. Nakata remembers feeling as if his mind was floating separately from his body. He still doesn't know what the entrance stone is for, but he knows that it is white, round, and about the size of a music record. He also knows that he is destined to move the stone. After dinner, Hashino wanders around Takamatsu alone. Suddenly, he is approached by an old man in a white suit who somehow knows his name. The man introduces himself as Colonel Sanders and says he can set Hoshina up with a prostitute. Hoshina isn't interested until the colonel announces that he knows about the search for the entrance stone and he knows where it is. Shocked, Hoshino follows. I love Colonel Sanders in this book so far. And I just love how he's like, you know, like, hey, I got a lady for you. Like, I'm not looking for ladies. I'm looking for an entrance stone. Like, oh, I could get you that too. Like, really? Oh, okay. Can you show me? Like, yeah, sure. You don't want this pussy first. <laughs> which made me think to ask the question which mascots do you think would make the best pimps the fast food guys seem an easy one like the, the creepy Burger King guy with the big head is only a few steps removed from like a pimp he's got a crown he has regal shit right yeah I also think Tony the Tiger Tony the Tiger seems like he could strong arm some ladies around. Right. I'm trying to separate this from like the Dave Chappelle, like Sesame Street bit. And mm. I'm like, oh yeah, Dracula. Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> that's not Dracula. That's, that's the count. Oh, that's right. That's a whole bit about Dracula being a pimp. All right. Uh, I- I, I could see Big Bird in uh in a in a green fedora with like a long one of his own feathers. I'm trying to think of mascots. I'm I'm thinking. I mean, like the the Trojans, like Trojan Warrior. <laughs> I don't know. Not so much. That's not a great one. Oh, I wasn't even thinking sports mascots. I mean, the Philly fanatic can make anything work. Right. I just feel like it's like mascots. Yeah, maybe Tony the Tiger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like mascots are so kind of like would they be a pimp? Like they're so like bouncy kind of. <laughs> you know, but I guess anybody. Is there like a I guess that maybe, yeah, maybe the Trojan just kind of like because you want a pimp that can kind of like Get the shit out of somebody too, if like mm. push from the shove. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Once again, the young Miss Saiki appears. Uh, it's chapter twenty-seven. The yeah. young Miss Saiki appears in Kafka's room late at night. This time, he calls out to her, saying her name over and over. He worries if she leaves, he will be devastated. For the first time, she seems to see him, but vanishes. The next day, a detective stops by the library. The police have tracked Koichi Tamura's stolen cell phone to Takamatsu. Oshima covers for him, telling that he hasn't been seen in days. When he tells Kafka this, Kafka says he doesn't want Oshima to put himself in harm's way. Uh, Kafka is still worried that he might be a suspect because he feels guilty about his father's death. Oshima says the police told him that Kafka had been suspended for violence at school. He admits that on a couple occasions he had blacked out and hurt classmates. During those times, it felt like as if someone else were controlling his body. Oshima empathizes a little, saying that getting through each day in his physical body, which he calls a defective container, can be a challenge. 
Kafka, too, hates the container of his body. His face, hands, and blood are all reminders of genes passed down from his parents. He wishes he could run away from his body like running away from home. Oshima tries to reassure him, counseling that it's what's on the inside of both of them, their essence that matters. In the afternoon, Kafka takes some coffee up to Masaiki. Kafka tells Masaiki that he's in love, but doesn't reveal with whom. As he's leaving, he tells Masaiki he has to ask her something personal. Does she have any children? She says she can't answer. Back downstairs, Kafka feels confused. Is he in love with the young ghost of Masaiki, or the real middle-aged woman upstairs? Yeah, uh, Kafka starts playing pretty smooth with the older Masaiki in a way I was not prepared for. <laughs> um, what are your least and favorite parts of your defective container, aka your body? Hmm. My uh, my favorite of yours is your fucking chest hair. I got I got not I have shitty tattoos to make up for my lack of chest hair. <laughs> what is that? Hang on. What is that? You, you know what's funny? I thought of bringing it down like a man, and said I went like spring break, like woo. Uh, so this, have you ever seen the movie The Seventh Seal? No. So in the movie The Seventh Seal, a knight plays chess against the Grim Reaper to try and convince him to spare Oh, him. yeah, I have seen that movie. Yeah, well, at and the end... Lar, we, what is it, like Lars? Uh, it's it's uh, Igmar Bergman. Igmar Bergman, yeah, I have yes. seen that. And at the end, uh, when somebody wins and somebody loses, I'm trying to see which side, we see death leading the characters of the film in a dance of death in a silhouette along the horizon but yeah. only this part because this is the most painful tattoo i ever got and i have to go back and get this finished oh okay when did you get that first part so god i've actually already had three parts of this done the the part that says life will never last i got done after my dad died because i was a sad boy mm. but uh i didn't like how it looked so then i went in and i got the chest pieces done and all the outline and then i went in and got all that filled in and it hurt like hell and i had to tap out oh dude i'm sure it kills man yeah do you have any tattoos no yeah they're they're a lot uh i honestly probably wouldn't have even gotten this but my fiance for my birthday just like got me a gift certificate to her favorite tattoo artist oh so it's a recent one it's very recent. Yeah, this is this is like three and a half, three to four weeks old. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, hurt like hell, dude. When it got like right here, I could feel like my fucking heart vibrating. It was so painful. Jeez. Yeah. Damn. So, what's your favorite part of your body? Uh, hands. You do have nice hands. They're huge. Mine. Yeah, mine are not. I feel like my palms are huge, and then my fingers are shrimpy. Mm. I try to play piano; it's a struggle against my jeans. Uh, and I just also like that they're like powerful too. They're just like very like strong, but I can also do a lot of stuff with my hands, like you know, strong but uh, agile. Agile, yeah. Like yeah. I, I feel like I mean, sadly, you know, and I think about this a lot. Like I spend a lot of time just like using my hands to like scroll through my phone mm. um what a waste you know yeah in, in previous generations would have been forging iron but now it's you know yeah i mean i i spent 10 years 
as a glass blower. Like I spent 10 years training my hands to blow glass. Oh God. My girl, my, my girl fell into that fucking reality show about the glass blowing competition. She was obsessed with it. It was really cool though. Yeah. I know some of those people. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. In the first season I know um, Alex and uh, Deborah Soresco. Shout out Alex and Deborah Soresco from what was the name of that show? What was the horrible punny name? It had? Blown away. Blown away. That's a bad name. That's a, you got to get it. That's a, it, it needs to be something that impresses housewives. And it did that much. Yeah. It's, I, I actually, I, I haven't finished the first season, but I loved it. I, I would definitely will. I just haven't got back to it for whatever reason, but mm. in terms of like watching reality TV, like that one. And, and I would, I, I would rather watch reality TV where it's like people expressing a craft and not like, you know, American Idol or shit like that. Have you seen, have you seen Alone? What's alone? It's uh where they just, it's like, I think it's 10 contestants and you're just dropped off alone. And you're given a small business loan to thrive yeah. or die. No, you're, you're just in the, in like the deep Canadian wilderness mm. and you're, you have like 10 items, but you can't choose like a gun. There's like certain things you can't choose and you just, there's no camera crew. It's just you set up you have your cameras and you're just like, you got to film yourself. And then, and it's whoever, who's ever able to stay out there the longest. Mm. You have like I, a radio that you can call and tap out and be like, uh, I'm done. I think I, 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 just, I just can't suspend disbelief enough for a show like that. Just cause I feel like there's only so far you could go before like they jump in. I know there's been a few of those where they like film themselves to get around that aspect, but. No, what they'll do is. I mean, there's nobody out there. They're, they're like definitely by themselves, like periodically, like every month or so mm-hmm. they'll be like, they'll come out to the contestants and like take their weight, like do like organ function. Cause they, they do start to start. Okay. So you can get like disqualified if like your body is just too shit. Yeah. From- yeah okay. They'll, they, they take your weight. They, cause they, they give you, you know, you kind of have your like base that they know you're at and and they'll just tell contestants like sorry like we're you have to come with us like you you've lost too much weight and people i mean it's actually crazy like you know you can start to see it like people that have been out there like 50 60 days they're mm-hmm. they look very different than they did at the beginning of the show yeah I, I feel like the lawyers for major networks need to be like the most evil people on the planet because they really need to figure out like how can we push these people to their absolute brutal limit and not get sued for it i mean i think that's interesting with this show is like all the contestants are like wilderness survival people, mm, like people okay who so they're not yeah it's not just like the first season is just kind of like they put anybody out there i mean some people had some experience but i think they quickly realized like this show's much better. I mean, they put like the first season, they put people out and like some people, like one guy didn't even make it the whole night. Like he heard a bear and like flipped his shit. And like, wow. You know, whereas like the first, actually the first season I watched was like the fifth season. And there's like a dude who's like a Marine who trains like Marines in like wilderness survive, like a hard motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even fucking win. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's go right. ahead on this. Uh, 28. Colonel Sanders leads Hashino to a large Shinto shrine. 
There they meet a young woman who takes Hashino to a nearby love hotel. I love that they hit what we just call like shitty motels that charge by the hour. In Japan, they have actual love hotels where it's like made fancy, but specifically so you can go fuck during the day, which I understand was very important in their culture when they were like going back 20 years ago where they were still had very much multi-generational houses. Mm. And also seems like a great place to take a mistress. Uh, probably so, not uncommon. <laughs> no. uh, as they're having sex, she talks to him about the philosopher Heigl. She explains that she's a philosophy student making extra money. They return to the shrine, and Colonel Sanders promises to take Hoshina to the entrance stone. Dan, which philosopher do you think was best in bed? Let's make vague guesses here. I mean, I don't think he was a philosopher, but he had, I feel he had a lot of philosophy. Um, first name that came to my mind was like Mark Twain. Mm. Okay. Was he a philosopher? I mean, I, I think he was like a human philosopher. Yeah, he was a dispenser of wisdom. He wasn't going to get down to the nitty gritty of it, but he knew human nature as he saw it. But I feel like Mark Twain, that. Yeah. Like he 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 crushed, but not just crushed. Like he was like a lover. Like mm-hmm. women that slept with Mark Twain were like, yeah, that was amazing. Like he takes his fucking time, yeah. and it is worth it. <laughs> you talk, talk about a steamboat, toot toot. All yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, all right, twenty nine. Feeling guilty about uh, leaving so soon. Kafka calls Sakura to let her know she's okay. She's a little annoyed, but glad to hear from him. She warms him to be safe, saying that she feels protective of him, like an older sister. Uh-oh. Mm. A little, little on the nose. Uh, Kafka feels slightly dizzy. No one ever said that to him before. After he hangs up, he listens to more Kafka on the shore, letting it transport him to another place in time. That night, Kafka wakes up as usual to the living ghost at his desk, but something is off. He realizes it's not the young girl at all, but rather the real, middle-aged Miss Saiki. She undresses and gets into bed with Kafka. He realizes she must be sleepwalking and think that he's her young boyfriend since Kafka is sleeping in his old room. As they have sex, Kafka feels as if he's struggling to find a border between dream and reality. Then Miss Saiki sleeps out of the room and leaves. Kafka waits to hear her car pull out of the parking lot, but he never does. Dan, what's the best song to have sex with your mother to? This is probably Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, assu- assuming it's lovemaking, I would think Eminem. I'm sorry, mama. I never meant uh, to hurt you. <laughs> yeah. Eminem, Eminem must have wanted to fuck his mom in some way or another. Everything else about him is too edible. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has like a pretty, pretty deep kind of hatred towards her so there there's maybe like the other side of that as well his his first single he hits he, he shits on her for not ha- for being flat chested how are you gonna breastfeed me ma you ain't got no tits it sounds like he wishes but if you did i would have played around with them and drank abundantly and i would have been satisfied as a person and not become a white rapper <laughs> <laughs> all right let's knock this fucker out uh 30 as colonel sanders leads hashino into the woods behind the shrine he reveals that he's not really Colonel Sanders, but a foremost identity entity who decided to take on the shape of a capitalist icon. His job is to ensure that time continues to flow normally and that the boundary between different worlds is maintained. They arrive at a smaller shrine in the woods 
and the colonel instructs Hoshino to open it and remove the entrance stone from inside. Hoshino is reluctant, afraid of transgressing against God by desecrating a shrine. Another great line here. Hoshina points out that God is a pretty flexible concept anyway, so just take the fucking stone. Hoshina takes it, which is round and white like Nakata described, heavier than it should be. With the colonel's help, he lugs it back to the street and takes a taxi back to the hotel. He places the stone next to Nakata's pillow. And that's the end of our section. I love the idea of like this interdimensional spirit sprite who is just kind of like, I'm Colonel Sanders. You want some pussy? No? Okay, I'll help you carry this rock into the taxi. Heave ho. Taxi onto the onto the corner of Yakumetsu and Nekitsu Prefecture. Bye. Yeah. I yeah, I like I mean I do I do really like his writing. Like I like how it's just kind of like you know, there's a certain like playfulness to it. That's like he's like, Yeah, this is, there's like serious subjects here, but also I'm just kinda kinda like enjoy like i'm gonna enjoy myself there's gonna be like a strangeness to it and sort of that like mm-hmm. magical realism Ooh, of so like the, the character appears as colonel sanders like why not you mm-hmm. know so i i had you on for the crying a lot 49 which is funny because i feel like both i don't books... think so did i not have you on for that no i don't think so no no never mind yeah but well that that book also dealt with kind of like a dreamlike quality but that seems so much more in like the description, whereas everything here is like nothing feels like a dream. It feels weird, but it feels grounded. Like this, is, there's no doubt that like, yeah, no, this is Colonel Sanders, and like he's being a fucking weirdo, and he's like, you know, she's got hot rocking tits. You sure you don't want that before the rock? Like, and it's just like, yeah, okay, this is a weird character, but this is definitely happening. Right. Yeah. Which I'm I'm sure I'll say that before reading the next chapter and realize like, by the way, the Colonel Sanders is made up and Hashino was dreaming dreaming this whole time. No, I mean, I think that's part of the idea of like magical realism is like it's a world that's like the world that we live in mm-hmm. but it, but different. There's there's like elements of it that there's like that are like the, 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 the like it's less you know, it's like a spirit world as well. Mm. Like we're not as separate from like the dimension of the spirits or like these you know kind of crazy it's like the conscious and the unconscious are are closer together you know he has a dream that he he killed his father and so he thinks he did and he wakes up in blood and sort of in like the magical realism of it it's like that may be real like mm-hmm. you don't know that he didn't do that like you know, we, you know, because we're in this world where, like, that type of thing can happen. Okay, cool. All right, buddy. I, yeah, I kind of, I mean, I like that about his writing. Yeah, so. this is this is the first of his stuff that I've read, and I think I'm I'm definitely intrigued enough that I want to keep going. I've heard good things about uh, The Wind-Up Bird. Seamus actually recommended IQ84, or 1Q84 before this, but that one's just longer, and I didn't want to get into a whole long time yeah, that one's um i i've i've heard um some it's an interesting book as well like i i haven't read it but what i know about it is basically a guy his car he's on the he's on this iq84 which is like this major highway in mm. tokyo and his car he has a flat tire and he like gets out 
of the car and is waiting for like the tow truck and it's going to be a while and he notices there's like a stairway like an off you know that you can take the stairway down off this like major overpass mm-hmm. you know so he has this decision do i just sit here and wait or do i go down the stairway and he goes down the stairway and it leads into this like very like nether realm and so like the book kind of you know it's like this idea that there's like worlds underneath worlds okay and you know you you like something happens that changes you have this like normal way that your life goes mm-hmm. and then there's like some very small thing that like takes you off that path and you find there's this whole other community this whole other like space that has been there the whole time but you never saw it awesome okay we're checking out all right, Yo, Dan, thanks for being on. Uh, real quick, anywhere we can find you on social media, anything you want to promote? Um, let's see, my Instagram is Lord Byron McGregor mm-hmm. uh, or The Real American Wrestler. Oh, yeah. Um, I got to get back on. I haven't done anything. That's a wrestling character that I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he'll come back. He'll make, we, had a, we had a pretty epic match. Some time back um it'll come back like wrestling is kind of out of the question right now but sooner or later yeah. um other than that i don't know yeah awesome all right yeah. oh i'm doing i'm probably i might we've been talking about doing more backyard shows so okay. like uh, lovable monsters like oh and ryan and peggy mm-hmm. um that's that's gonna come back so yeah awesome all right old uh old lovable mon- old dirty lovable monsters and yeah. awful wrestling and lord byron mcgregor go check lord it out McGregor. yeah awesome all right buddy thank you for being on it's we're both very tired i could tell <laughs> yeah i've been drinking a lot too i was pretty much drinking all day yeah i need i have another drink or two in my night but <laughs> all right man Thanks for doing this, buddy. I will see you around, okay? Yep. Take care. Later, buddy.